Well, today we're in week three of our worship emphases, a sermon series entitled Letting Go, Letting Go. It's based on a book by Brene Brown called The Gifts of Imperfection, and that book is just such a great, great resource. There's no way that I could even be in to scratch the surface of what all is to be gleaned from that book. And so, if you haven't read it, uh, you might want to do that. I think you would find it, if you find these sermons and this worship series helpful, I think you'll find the book to be helpful as well. Uh, In the first two weeks of this series, and, and throughout this entire series, the hope and the prayer is simply this that we would be able to uh, have more resources to let go of who we think we're supposed to be and instead embrace who God created us to be. To let go of who we think we're supposed to be and embrace who God created us to be. Now, uh, the past two weeks that we've been in this series, the first week we talked about letting go of what other people think And then last week, we talked about letting go of perfectionism. Uh, There may be some of you here today that haven't been here for the first two weeks of the series, and you're worried about what I might think about you if if, uh, you haven't, and that's okay. You've got podcasts, and you've got our website where you can watch the videos. You can go back and watch the two previous sermons. I would pay particular attention to sermon number one, letting go of what other people think about you. And there may be some of you here this morning that have been here for both previous worship experiences, but you just would like to go back and listen to it again. You want to make sure you understand perfectly everything that's been shared so far. Again, I would refer you to the podcast, to the website. Pay particular attention to sermon number two, Letting Go of Perfectionism. Um, In sermon number one, letting go of what other people think, the hope and the desire is that we would instead cultivate a sense of authenticity, who we really are. And then in sermon number two, letting go of perfectionism, uh, that we would instead uh, cultivate a sense of self-compassion, to love ourselves the way God loves us, and then that will inform the way that we're able to love other people. And then today, the sermon uh, series emphasis is letting go of powerlessness and numbing. Letting go of powerlessness and numbing. Did you know that every single day that we're exposed to over 3,000 advertisements? Is that not amazing? Over 3,000 advertisements. It might be on a product that you see somewhere, uh, but, but from the moment you get up in the morning until the moment you go to bed at night, you and I are bombarded with these messages and these expectations of what we should look like, what we should dress like, what we should eat, the kind of car we should drive. I mean, you get the idea. Every single day, these images are bombarding us. And and these advertisements are not just selling products. These advertisements are selling to us images. These advertisements are selling to us these values. These advertisements are selling us these concepts of of what is uh, normal or what is popular, uh, what defines value and worth and success, what defines love and sexuality. So these images that we're bombarded with every day is more than just about selling products. 
It's really getting into the psyche of our souls and our spirits. And you and I, on some level, would like to think that these advertisements aren't affecting us at all. But the research suggests that they are. The research suggests that you and I really do believe what we're seeing in these advertisements. That that if we just bought the right smartphone, or if we just ate the right breakfast cereal, that somehow we would be better people. That our value and our worth would be more. And yet... On some level, we know that even though we keep trying to do those things, that that they really don't work in the way that the advertisements suggest that they work. And a lot of times what happens is that we end up with this sense of hopelessness because we believed the advertisements and we did what they told us to do and we bought what they told us to buy and we looked the way they told us to look and, and yet we still don't feel like it helped that much. And so we are oftentimes left with this sense of hopelessness um, and powerlessness. Uh, Yesterday, um, we had a a great event here in the church. We, we, our church partnered with Reeves Rogers Elementary School and the Murfreesboro Bicycle Club to have a, a, a bike rodeo. Now, I'd never been to a bike rodeo before, right? So, so I came to just check it all out, see what it was all about. I was a little bit surprised that there were no cowboy hats and lassos. I, I guess I really don't know what a bike rodeo is really supposed to be, Reverend Martha. But, but, but I came to this thing and, and, and I was just amazed. You know, there were these children here and all of the children had these different levels of ability on their bicycles. And I think it's probably safe to say that every single one of those children left yesterday better in their ability to ride a bike than they, than they had when they came to ride the bike. But, but the thing that really uh, caught my attention, uh, other than the fact that nobody had on cowboy hats or lassos for the bike rodeo, was that there were some children here that came in with training wheels on their bicycles. And that the volunteers at the bike rodeo invited those kids that came in with their training wheels on the side of their bikes to consider trying to learn to ride their bike yesterday without the training wheels. And I sat there, and as I was watching this happen before my eyes, I couldn't help but think about all those years ago when I learned to ride a bicycle. And the thing that came to mind as I was watching these kids yesterday was just how hard it was to learn to ride the bicycle for the first time. I mean, I I didn't know at the time, you could see it so clearly yesterday, but when I was a kid, I didn't realize that the, the, the biggest key in trying to ride a bike without uh, training wheels is to keep your weight centered on top of the bike. But there's this temptation, you know, your parents are trying to, or your loved ones are trying to uh, run along beside you when you've got the training wheels off for the first time, and, 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 and eventually they're going to let go of the bike and see if you can ride without the training wheels. Well, the temptation as a kid is, is that you kind of lean to the direction of, of where your parents are or your loved one is on that bike. And, and, and so that's what I would do as a kid, you know. My parents would be beside me, and I was kind of leaned over that 
that way. And so as soon as they jumped out of the way and let go of the bicycle, because my weight was already shifted to that one side, I would just fall and scrape my knee or scrape my elbow. And I'd just get so upset. And I would just start crying. And I would say, it's not worth it. It's not easy. I'm just going to ride my bike with training wheels forever. That's a sense of hopelessness for a a, a child. It's a sense of hopelessness that we're not going to be able to do uh, that. But what Brene Brown says in her book is that hopelessness can be a really dangerous thing. Because hopelessness can actually lead to powerlessness. And that's far, far worse. See, hopelessness is that I can't do it. I can't ride my bike without training wheels. But powerless is I can't, so I won't. I can't, so I won't. One means, uh, powerless means you're going to be riding your bike with training wheels for the rest of your life. Hopelessness, not quite to that point yet. Hopeless means I don't think I can do it, but the great news is is that hope can be learned. Hope can be learned. Well, I saw some kids yesterday that I think were experiencing some of the same things that I remember experiencing when I was a child. When, When the parents or the loved ones or the volunteers let go of the bike for the first time and and their weight wasn't evenly distributed on the bike and they fell over, I could see this sense of hopelessness in their eyes. I could see this sense of, I can't do it. It's not worth it. I'll just ride my bike with training wheels for the rest of my life. And I could see in some of them maybe even venturing more towards powerlessness. There were a couple of kids that after they'd fallen a few times, they were ready just to stop riding bikes altogether. They wanted to instead just go into the kitchen and get their snack and just spend the rest of the time eating. And there were some other kids there that had noticed the playground outside and they just wanted to put their bikes away and they just wanted to go out onto the playground and to play a while. Powerlessness had set in. And so they just wanted to go do something else. You know what they were really doing when they wanted to go outside and play on the playground or what they, wanted to, what they were really doing when they wanted to just go into the kitchen and eat a snack? They were numbing themselves. They were feeling some really difficult emotions and some feelings and they really didn't want to feel them. And so what they thought that they would do was instead that they would go do something else that might momentarily take their mind off of the uncomfortable feelings and emotions that they were experiencing. And you and I know that this goes far, far beyond riding a bike and trying to learn to ride it without training wheels. You know that life isn't easy. You know that in, you live through this life that there are going to be times where you're tempted to feel hopeless and they're tempted to feel powerless. And there are going to be times when there's so many difficult emotions that are going around in your heart and mind that you really don't want to experience. And so you're going to try to find a way to take the edge off. And, and it may be just eating some gummy snacks at the church Uh, Or it might be playing in the church playground, or it might be drinking or drugs, pornography or sex. 
It could be something that on the outside seems really good for you, like running. Or it could be something like obsessively and compulsively eating. But the reality is, is that all of us are going to be faced with times in our lives where we feel hopeless, like we just can't do something. And if we don't speak truth into that hopeless feeling, then we'll become powerless. And we'll think that we can't, and so we won't. And, and so we, we just accept life with training wheels for the rest of our lives. And many of us will try to numb that pain by doing something compulsively or chronically. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that that's not who God created you to be. God did not create you to be hopeless. God did not create you to be powerless. And God did not create you to go through life trying to numb yourself from all of the uncomfortable feelings and emotions that you may be experiencing. Because believe it or not, some of the most rewarding and enjoyable things, despite what the advertisements tell us, aren't fun, fast, and easy. Some of the most rewarding things in life come after time after time and failure after failure. And we've got to be able to press through those feelings of hopelessness. We've got to be able to stay away from this sense of powerlessness. And we've got to be very careful in how we numb ourselves and how we take the edge off. Because when you numb yourselves from difficult feelings, guess what? You numb yourself from wonderful feelings too. You can't just do selective numbing. When you're drinking or when you're engaging in running or anything else to just get your mind off of something bad, it also can take your mind off of all that's good in the world as well. And apparently this hasn't just been a recent development. Apparently this sense of dealing with hopelessness and powerlessness and numbing has been going on since the very beginning of time. I mean, in our scripture lesson this morning, for instance, a shout out to Alex Weaver. Was that not incredible? I feel like now I have to say all of these names myself in the sermon because he said them, because I was just going to skip all over them, you know? But in what happened just before the scripture that Alex read for us today was is that the people of Israel, the Israelites, were on the very edge of the promised land, and they had just done a head count. Uh, And the reason why they did the head count is because they wanted to fairly distribute all of the promised land to all of the different people and all of the different tribes of Israel. And so some of the tribes were really, really large, and some of the tribes were really, really small, and, and so they needed a good head count. So the larger tribes would need larger areas of land, and the smaller tribes would get the smaller areas of land. And so they took this head count. And, and, and then they decided that the land itself that people actually got to possess, they would give out by casting of lots. And that way nobody could claim that one group got favoritism over another. So they did the head count, and then they determined that they were going to cast lots to see who got to get the land first. And that's what's happened just before our scripture today. But in our scripture this morning, we have five sisters who have approached Moses and Eleazar. See, he said it better than I did. Um, The priest, and they have a problem. 
So I'm going to read these women's names as a shout out to Alex. Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, Terza. They go to Moses with a problem. And here's the problem. It was the divine law, this came directly from God, that when land was passed from one generation to another, it passed from the father to the son. So what if a father didn't have any sons? What if a father only had daughters? What would that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it would mean. It'd mean you're out of luck. It would mean you got to spend the rest of your life with training wheels on your bicycle. It, it, it would mean that you were hopeless. It would mean that you were powerless. I mean, this is a law, this is a divine law from God. You're hopeless and you're powerless. Or were these women hopeless and powerless? According to the Scripture, these five sisters bravely speak out. They approach Moses and they speak out. Now listen, they don't speak out at the watering hole when all of the women have come together to gather water for their flocks. That's not where these five sisters speak out. These five sisters don't speak out at the dinner table where they're surrounded by the security Uh, of their family and friends. These women speak out at an official gathering of all of the leaders of all of the tribes of Israel. These five sisters go to the top representatives of God at that time, Moses and the priest, and they speak out. It takes tremendous bravery for them to do that. And so they go and they say to Moses, our father never revolted against God. Never once did he revolt against God. And because he didn't revolt against God, he didn't forfeit his right to inherit this land. So uh, this land is rightfully his. And it should be rightfully ours. Just because our father didn't have any sons doesn't mean that we shouldn't possess the land that was promised to our family and to our tribe. What they're essentially doing is they're arguing with God. This is God's law. This is God's divine command that the land pass from the Father to the Son. And these women are so brave to suggest that that law shouldn't apply to them that they should be able to inherit the land promised to their father, that that land should stay in their family and in their tribe. Now this may sound completely reasonable today, but I assure you that back in this time, it was not reasonable at all to expect that these women would even dare go and make this request or that it would even be heard. Now I remember... When I started my ministry, I was an associate pastor. And my favorite phrase when I was a brand new associate pastor, when people would come into my office and they would ask me a difficult question or have a difficult problem, I would say, oh, you want to talk to the senior pastor. Let me show you to his office. And, and so that's essentially what Moses does here in the story. Here are these women that are coming and they're saying, you know what, this is God's law and it ain't right. 
We should be able to get this land because it's meant for our family. It should stay in our family. And Moses is like, hey, I'm not getting in the middle of this. I mean, this is God's divine law. I am not about to step off into this landmine. So we're going to take this to God. We're going to let this decision be made by God. We're going to discern what God would do in this particular situation. And so Moses walks to the senior pastor's office. Moses goes to God and says, here's the situation. How would you suggest that we handle it? And God says, the women are right. The women are right. They should get the land that was meant to be their father. It should stay in their family. It should stay in their tribe. And if you think about what's happening in that text right there, what God is doing is God is going against God's own law. God is reinterpreting a law that God had made in the past in light of a new situation. God is willing to reevaluate God's law for the sake of justice as it applies to these women in this particular case. And so God says to them, you should get the land. And it's all because these five sisters were not willing to accept powerlessness, hopelessness, and numbing. They had every reason in the world to say, you know what, well, that's the law of God. I mean, who are we to question the law of God? So we'll just let it ride, you know. We'll just gripe about it every time we go to draw water, but, but it is what it is. We, we, we can't change it. Uh, they could have just said, we're just going to keep the training wheels on the rest of our lives. They could have said, you know, every time I start to get mad about it and feel these feelings that I don't really want to feel and I don't really want to deal with, that I'll just go, you know, um, drink some wine or bake some bread or do whatever else that they might do to try to take the edge off. But they didn't. These five sisters represent and model for us how we might be able to let go of hopelessness and how we might be able to let go of powerlessness, and how we might be able to let go of numbing in order to be the people that God created us to be. And the first thing that these women did is that they allowed themselves to feel their feelings. This is not right. We shouldn't be denied access to this land and this inheritance just because we're female. And so they allowed themselves to feel those feelings and they didn't try to numb them. The second thing that they model for us is that they showed solidarity, that, they, that together they found strength in one another and that they went and they stood up to Moses and to the priest and they shared their feelings and why that they thought those feelings were wrong. They had a goal for themselves. They said the goal is is that we think this land ought to be ours. We should get to inherit that land. And then they sought help from the people that they knew were the ones that could help them. Moses and the priest and ultimately even God. And they were willing to believe. They were willing to be vulnerable. They were willing to say what was on their mind and was on their heart. They were willing to expose themselves for what they believed was right. And in let go of powerlessness, in letting go of hopelessness, and in letting go of numbing, what they cultivated here was a resilient spirit. 
a resilient spirit. They were willing to say that there are some things in life that are so important and so meaningful, even though they're not fast, fun, and easy. And we've got to stick to it. We've got to be committed to those things. We've got to do what is right. And these five sisters took off their training wheels. And God heard them and agreed with them. I want you to know yesterday that uh, everybody that I saw come in with training wheels for the bike rodeo left without them. It was a neat thing. You could see that hopelessness and in some cases that powerlessness in their eyes, but they did a lot of the same things that are modeled in the Scripture this morning. They set a goal for themselves. They rallied together. One would see another one uh, finally learning how to get away from the training wheels, and that was an encouragement to the one that hadn't yet gotten away from the training wheels. Uh, They sought help from people that could help them learn how to ride a bike without training wheels. Uh, They made themselves vulnerable. They made themselves uh, open to the fact that they might fall over and over and over and over again but they believed that there was life that somehow better than bike riding with training wheels. And by the end of it, every single one of them were riding without training wheels. It began when they let go of their hopelessness, their powerlessness, and when they avoided going to get a snack or going out to the playground to try to take the edge off of those uncomfortable feelings that they were feeling. And did you know the same thing would work for you too?